0: Chapter Fifteen of the Sport of the Gods. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Sport of the Gods by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. Chapter Fifteen Dear, Damned, Delightful Town. When Joe was taken. There was no spirit or feeling left in him. He moved mechanically, as if without sense or volition. The first impression he gave was that of a man overacting insanity. But this was soon removed by the very indifference with which he met everything concerned with his crime. From the very first he made no effort to exonerate or vindicate himself, he talked little and only in a dry, stupefied way. He was as one whose soul is dead, and perhaps it was, for all the little soul of him had been wrapped up in the body of this one woman, and the stroke that took her life had killed him too. The men who examined him were irritated beyond measure. There was nothing for them to exercise their ingenuity upon. He left them nothing to search for. Their most damning questions he answered with an apathy that showed absolutely no interest in the matter. It was as if someone whom he did not care about had committed a crime, and he had been called to testify. The only thing which he noticed or seemed to have any affection for was a little pet dog, which had been hers, and which they sometimes allowed to be with him. After the life sentence had been passed upon him, and when he was awaiting removal. He would sit for hours with the little animal in his lap, caressing it dumbly. There was a mute sorrow in the eyes of both man and dog, and they seemed to take comfort in each other's presence. There was no need of any sign between them. They had both loved her, had they not? So they understood. Sadness saw him, and came back to the banner, torn and unnerved, by the sight. "'I saw him,' he said with a shudder. "'And it'll take more whiskey than Jack can give me in a year to wash the memory of him out of me. Why, man, it shocked me all through. It's a pity they didn't send him to the chair. It couldn't have done him much harm and would have been a real mercy.' And so Sadness and all the club, with a muttered, "'Poor devil!' dismissed him. He was gone. Why should they worry?' only one more, who had got into the whirlpool, enjoyed the sensation for a moment, and then swept dizzily down. There were indeed some who, for an earnest hour, sermonized about it and said, Here is another example of the pernicious influence of the city on untrained Negroes. Oh, is there no way to keep these people from rushing away from the small villages and country districts to the south? up to the cities, where they cannot battle with the terrible force of a strange and unusual environment. Is there no way to prove to them that woolen-shirted, brown-jeaned simplicity is infinitely better than broad-clothed degradation? They wanted to preach to these people that good agriculture is better than bad art, and that it was better and nobler for them to sing to God across the southern fields, than to dance for rowdies in the northern halls. They wanted to dare to say that the South has its faults, no one condones them and its disadvantages, but that even what they suffered from these was better than what awaited them in the great alleys of New York. Down there the bodies were restrained, and they chafed, but here the soul would fester, and they would be content. This was but for an hour. For even while they exclaimed, they knew that there was no way, and that the stream of young negro life would continue to flow up from the south, dashing itself against the hard necessities of the city, and breaking like waves against a rock, that until the gods grew tired of their cruel sport, there must still be sacrifices to false ideals and unreal ambitions. There was one heart, though, that neither dismissed Joe with gratuitous pity nor sermonized about him. The mother-heart had only room for grief and pain. Already it had borne its share. It had known sorrow for a lost husband, tears at the neglect and brutality of a new companion, shame for a daughter's sake, and it had seemed already filled to overflowing. And yet the fates had put in this one other burden until it seemed it must burst with the weight of it. To Fanny Hamilton's mind, now all her boy's shortcomings became as naught. He was not her wayward, erring criminal son. She only remembered that he was her son, and wept for him as such. She forgot his curses, while her memory went back to the sweetness of his baby prattle and soft words of his tender youth. Until the last she clung to him, holding him guiltless, and to her thought they took to prison not Joe Hamilton, a convicted criminal, but Joey, Joey, her boy, her firstborn, a martyr. The pretty Miss Kitty Hamilton was less deeply impressed. The arrest and subsequent conviction of her brother was quite a blow. She felt the shame of it keenly, and some of the grief. To her, coming as it did, just at the time when the company was being strengthened and she was more importantly featured than ever, it was decidedly inopportune, for no one could help connecting her name with the affair. For a long time, she and her brother had scarcely been upon speaking terms. During Joe's frequent lapses from industry, he had been prone to touch his sister for the wherewithal to supply his various wants. When finally, She grew tired and refused to be touched. He rebuked her for withholding that which, save for his help, she would never have been able to make. This went on until they were almost entirely estranged. He was wont to say that, now his sister was up in the world, she had got the big head, and she to retort that her brother wanted to use her for a soft thing. From the time that she went on stage, she had begun to live her own life, a life in which the chief aim was the possession of good clothes and the ability to attract the attention which she had learned to crave. The greatest sign of interest she showed in her brother's affair was, at first, to offer her mother money to secure a lawyer. But when Joe confessed all, she consoled herself with the reflection that perhaps it was for the best and kept her money in her pocket with a sense of satisfaction. She was getting to be so very much more Joe's sister. She did not go to see her brother. She was afraid it might make her nervous while she was in the city, and she went on the road with her company before he was taken away. Miss Kitty Hamilton had to be very careful about her nerves and her health. She had had experiences, and her voice was not as good as it used to be, and her beauty had to be aided by cosmetics. So she went away from New York, and only read of all that happened when someone called her attention to it in the papers. Barry Hamilton, in his southern prison, knew nothing of all this, for no letters had passed between him and his family for more than two years. The very cruelty of destiny defeated itself in this, and was kind. End of chapter 15 Recording by Richard Kilmer, Rio Medina, Texas